This is an audio recording of an award lecture presented at the 2022 Annual Meeting of the American Society for Biochemistry and Molecular Biology. Thank you so much, Meg, and thank you for that uh, very generous introduction. And um, among the many things that weren't really true were that I trained a whole bunch of great people. They trained me, and I was fortunate to get to work with them. So, um, and I want to start by acknowledging uh, thanks to these two amazing people. As Meg said, sadly, Cece is no longer with us. He, has, uh, he passed away a few years ago, but Alice is very much, and I know she would have been here because she's so committed uh, to this award and to the field in general, but um, because of COVID restrictions, it just didn't work out. But two amazing scientists, and I could spend my entire talk reminiscing about what wonderful people they are, but one thing that some of you who may have passed through the Bay Area will know is that uh, they used to host every other month dinners at their house. And these were kind of like the, the Paris salons of the early 1900s where people would congregate. But what we did was it was a bunch of scientists eating wonderful food that they brought in talking about parasites. And, and life just doesn't get better than, than that, right? That's what we enjoy. So um, amazing people and great scientists and great colleagues. So my slightly obnoxious title, the, the word audacious, I don't know if it's justified or not, but it feels like it. Uh, as the more we understand about this organism, the more we appreciate uh, the incredible biology of it. And I'll show you some things today and you'll hear some, some more things in subsequent talks that I hope will um, maybe justify that, that little bit over the top adjective there. So we're gonna really focus on this spot for this talk and the next one, which is the anterior end of the organism and its interaction with the host cell at this membrane, the, the vacuolar membrane. And yes, that is a mitochondrion, as are all of those, a quite remarkable phenomenon. So the, we'll um, be talking about lots of things, and I always put this at the beginning to acknowledge that really I'm the narrator. Right. The amazing work that I'm going to tell you about is the work of this wonderful crew and a whole bunch of collaborators, and I'm just so, I truly feel blessed to have been able to, to work with them. So first, the protagonist in my story. It's called Toxoplasma gondii, and it is a member of the phylum called Apicomplexa, well-named because they have in common an apical complex, which is this extraordinary uh, collection of things here that we're going to be focusing on for part of the talk. It's also a cousin of the malaria parasite Plasmodium, and I'll talk a little bit about uh, Plasmodium uh, in the middle there, just to, you'll see some quite striking uh, comparisons. A little bit more anatomy on our protagonist, opening it up, there's these three completely um, distinct, specialized secretory organelles, very unusual for a eukaryotic cell, and they have um, particular roles, and we're gonna talk some about the rope trees today. Rope tree in Greek means club, so that's just re referring to the shape of the, of the organelle, but also these blue micronemes and dense granules we won't really talk about much, but each have distinct cargo and very distinct roles in the biology of the organism. So two chapters in my story today. First, invasion. So how does toxoplasma invade almost any animal cell? You can put it in front of just about anything that isn't a plant cell and a eukaryotic cell, and they will have a go and frequently even successfully invade into them. And the second part is once they get in, the occupation of that cell. And I don't know if it's the right word, but it, I think conveys that there's this 
peculiar dialogue that's going on and, and even a negotiation that's occurring at the, the membrane there. So chapter one is invasion. How do they get in? This is a video that uh, Gustavo Rizabalaga, when he was a postdoc in the lab many years ago, shot. And when you take, so these are toxoplasma parasites in a vacuole. There's a host cell nucleus. These are human foreskin fibroblasts. If you add a calcium ionophore, like many eukaryotic cells, calcium is a very potent trigger, and it will cause them to become stimulated to exit and invade into the next cell. So let's hope the video works. Focus on the one at 5 o'clock down here. And as it comes out, it's going to transit and then invade the next cell. And that invasion is driven pretty much entirely by the parasite in terms of the active motility functions. It has to get a hold of something in the host cell, but that's why they're able to invade even a red blood cell they'll have a go at. At the apical end, then, we have this collection, and I, I've taken to, maybe it's, it's hyperbole, but I think it's the most complex biological machine we know of. This is comprised of at least eight or nine completely distinct structures, secretory organelles, cytoskeletal elements that have to collaborate in order for this eukaryotic cell to invade into another eukaryotic cell, a really remarkable phenomenon. And we're going to be talking about some of these uh, structures in Yi Wei in the next talk. We'll, we'll go into even more depth. So how do we dissect this? Well, cryoelectron tomography is just it's, it's an, a phenomenal tool. I'm a, I'm a microbiologist, molecular biologist, whatever. Um, this was new technology to me, but it has been a phenomenally enjoyable collaboration that uh, we were fortunate that uh, the Chan Zuckerberg Biohub uh, was willing to fund this group of six uh, investigators. So, um, Wa Chu's lab, W.E. Murner, Elizabeth Egan, uh, we have from my lab, Carolyn Larabel and Jamie Sethian. Jamie is a mathematician, and he's the one who's developed some of the uh, analysis software that I'll be telling you about. So some of the things we've been able to see, and this was uh, recently published earlier this year, when you dive in, when you look at these microtubules that are kind of the, the cytoskeleton, the, the, the girdle, if you will, of the cell, they have... Um, they're so abundant and repetitive that you can get the highest resolution. And we got down to between five and six angstroms. Wang et al. in a, in a paper reporting similar results with David Sibley and from um, the Wash U group, Yui um, um, Zhang. Here's the, the classic microtubules. This looks like many microtubules, but inside they have a spiral of, of elements. And these proteins, the beauty of Cryo-ET now is that if you can get high enough resolution, you can actually infer what the identity of those proteins likely is by virtue of the structure that you can resolve. So when you get down around that sort of four or five angstroms, you can begin to do that. And this just is zooming in. So there are the alpha and beta tubulins and their interaction with these other partners. The conoid is a structure that is restricted to just the, uh, a portion of the phylum. It's not found in the malaria parasites, at least not in anything that looks uh, like this. But it is part of the invasion machinery that toxoplasma has. It also is tubulin-based, but instead of seeing these 13 protofilaments that you saw in the previous, the, the more typical um, microtubules here, there are nine, and they have this kink and you can see if you superimpose, the first three kind of superimpose with the classic 13 that you saw in the microtubules. But 
there's this big kink here, and the remaining six are arced down. There are additional structures whoops, that you can see that are coding around it, and they're resolved here. This uh, was around nine angstrom resolution, and in fact, there is even more structure, which we couldn't resolve quite as, as well, that is surrounding that. So we have this, these layers upon layers. As the resolution improves, we hope to be able to identify the identity of those proteins, but as yet, they are unknown. In addition, at the very anterior end are these apical rings, and when you do the, uh, the uh, tomograms, you can see they have this very distinctive structure that looks like, in fact, two rings that are connected when you um, do the subtomogram averaging, you can begin to resolve those, not yet to anything close to uh, the resolution we need to identify what those proteins are. But when we looked at the, at the malaria parasites and did with Elizabeth Egan's lab, looked at them, we saw essentially the same, very similar uh, structure at the anterior end, these rings. And interestingly, they almost superimpose, so you can um, line them up and it's, it, Obviously, they're quite different, but it was one of the most striking things was that here's the malaria structure. And by the way, in the malaria parasite, there's exactly 34 of these, of these subunits. In the, in the toxoplasma, it's a variable number, um, and they're not, it's not such a, a perfect reproducible circle. But the periodicity of those repeating units, so toxoplasmas in purple here superimposed on the malaria parasite. And you can see that they have grossly similar structure, and we would predict they will be uh, of grossly similar uh, composition. What Jamie Sethian and Dan Pelt's contribution to the collaboration was to figure out a way to take this amazing amount of data that comes from the tomograms and being able to analyze it, which is really, uh, as I think Yiwei will back me up here, a, a phenomenal amount of work annotating any one of the tomograms. And what they um, developed is a mixed scale, dense convolutional neural network. So this is machine learning, uh, AI kind of a, an approach. I won't pretend to really understand it. Jamie says, if you think you understand it, then you really don't. Um, but suffice it to say, what it, by giving it a few training sets, we're able to annotate the tomograms automatically. And what that enables us to do is to crank through large numbers of them and amass data where we can get really great statistics and be able to analyze things rather than I always get worried, at least for myself when I'm looking at tomograms or, or any electron micrographs or indeed any, any images that I'm cherry picking. I know I have an agenda and I want to see what I want to see and uh, it's a temptation we all have. What's great about this is we can go through the entire set and let, the, let it make the call, make the annotation and then give us the analysis. And one of the examples of things that we're able to do with this is to uh, look at the very anterior end, and I think Yiwei will talk a lot more about this, and there's some beautiful work, but this is just an, an apical vesicle that seems, has been seen positioned up right um, near the, the very tip of the parasites. And what we found is that when you add the calcium ionophore, very reproducibly, they distort, and it appears that they're fusing with the tip of the rope trees, as if this is perhaps addressing how they inject their contents into the host cell because we have a protein that's in here and there's some really cool things in here like a, a JAK2 mimic, a tyrosine kinase that's injected into the host cell. Well, they have to cross three membranes. They have to cross the rope tree membrane, the parasite membrane, and the host membrane. And how they do that, we still don't know. I'm, I'm hoping UA will tell us in the next talk, but um, 
As far as I know, we still don't know how that really happens, but this is a clue that this calcium stimulation that induces them to invade and or, and or exit the cells produces this interaction. And we see that distortion, and this isn't one um, that we've picked. This is, in fact, the whole data set where we're looking at all the ones from the non-stimulated versus the stimulated, and they have a very distinct shape. And you can even then plot the, um, the curvature, what that curvature looks like. And because this is almost a perfect sphere or a circle in cross-section, it's a pretty flat line for the curvature. The teardrop, of course, isn't, and you can see that. So this, by using the, the mixed-scale density um, neural network, we're able to get all of those data and be able to analyze them um, even more rigorously. So for this first portion, then, what I've wanted to, to convince you is that the cryo-ET really is revealing us remarkable data, remarkable detail about these organisms in ways that we just uh, did not appreciate before. And that the neural net enables us to be able to do much faster, much easier annotation of those and be able to, to build large data sets. When you get to near atomic resolution, when you get down below that, that, I'm not sure what the magic threshold would be, but maybe four angstroms or so, you've got enough detail to be able to see the helices in it. And now with AlphaFold, I think this is a revolution that is going to be uh, really phenomenal. Being able to look inside a cell and now be able to say, that must be protein X, because when you look at all its structure, that's what uh, fits so beautifully. It won't be, you know, it'll be, you'll need to test it, but that's really exciting. And that the calcium ionophore stimulation produces this interaction between this apical vesicle and the rope tree neck, maybe as a prelude to uh, invasion. So the second chapter is looking now at the vacuolar membrane. So the, you're going to hear P PVM a lot. PVM is parasitophorous vacuole membrane. So what's going on there? give you a couple of examples of things we already knew uh, and or learned in the not too distant past. One is this phenomenon of that mitochondrial recruitment. If you look in this cell here, which is a, probably a polymorphonuclear cell, virtually every one of the mitochondria has been recruited around that vacuole. This is a really dramatic phenotype. And Lena Paranas and Anjali Shastri and Moritz Trake uh, collectively, especially Lena, were able to identify what it is that's uh, driving that. And one of the clues to that um, was, actually it's, it's shown here, that there's, in different strains, that phenomenon does and does not occur. And these are natural strains. These are not mutants that we've selected. In fact, the type two strain here is responsible for most human infections in, at least in Western Europe and probably in the US as well. And it doesn't do it. So if you look around the vacuole, so there are the parasites, they're mitochondrion with mitotracker is lighting up beautifully, but the mitochondria are not pulled in against it the way they are here in this type three and this type one. So Lena was able to use that information to ultimately, in collaboration with John Boyle's lab, identify what it is about the parasite that attracts it. A second thing that they do at the PVM relates to the uh, immune response. So there are these things called immunity-related GTPs, and in mice, they're a big deal. These are uh, GTPases that are responsive to gamma interferon and that will attack vacuoles containing pathogens inside. And what Toxo does is produces some rope tree proteins, remember those club-shaped organelles I showed you at the beginning, that include these parasite kinases, seven, <coughs> rope 17 and rope 18, that are injected into the host cell. They'll go to the PVM, and in this type 1 strains, 
they prevent the green-stained IRG from attacking. In this type 3 strain, again a natural strain, it doesn't express rope 18 for some reason, which is kind of interesting in its own right, and in, so the IRGs are able to attack and destroy the parasite inside. So there's a lot going on at this PVM. Alicia Saigon, a graduate student who finished uh, last year, took on the challenge then of saying, well, there must be a lot more going on. How can I look at this rather than having to get to clues? Why can I do something that is, that is uh, omic-wide right, to look at what might be going on? And so what Alicia did in collaboration with uh, Tess Brannon and Alice Ting's lab was to engineer uh, host cells, fibroblasts, that are expressing either the mini-turbo, which is the Ting Labs, one of their more recent uh, versions of, of biotin ligase, in the cytosol, or she added onto it a portion of the rope 17 that you saw on the previous slide that goes to the vacuolar membrane and, and protects it against attack by RG. So she took just the domain that is responsible for that lo localization that Michael Reese had identified a few years before, added it to the, the biotin ligase so that we could then use BioID to identify the proteins that might be at that PVM. So this is the um, strain that the fibroblasts which are expressing the mini-turbo untagged to anything, and this is it uh, when it's tagged with the, the um, domain that takes it to the vacuolar membrane, and you can see it worked beautifully. So she's got really nice localization of this biotin ligase. Now you add in the biotin, then you fish them out with streptavidin, and you do the mass spectroscopy and see what is it that's particularly there and enriched. And this is a table with the uh, proteins based on their enrichment score, and green highlights components of the escort machinery. So the escort machinery is um, something that is driving many processes within a eukaryotic cell regarding membranes. And particularly, it can remodel membranes. So when HIV buds, it can be involved in that. When you get um, exosomes formed via this uh, internal um, interluminal vesicle formation, it can be involved in that. So things that mess with membranes. So we were interested, is this, is, are these real hits? And the first thing Alicia did was just to verify it. And so she tagged uh, ALIX and uh, PDCD6, which are both components of the escort machinery, tagged them with an epitope tag, and then looked to see whether, so the red are the parasites, and you can see, I'll zoom in in the next slide, that indeed ALIX and PDCD6 are going around the vacuole membrane. So that's the zoom in, and it's sort of coming around the parasites, but even into what you're gonna see on the next slide, possibly this, this network on the interior. And here you can see it around the edge. So what might it be doing? We speculate that this phenomenon that uh, has been seen for a long time, uh, when you did conventional thin section EM, that toxo within a vacuole, there's this like bucatini. Uh, it's, it's like hollow pasta, these nanotubes that are elaborated there. And we speculate that maybe some of that elaboration, and you can see here, this is a, a picture from David Sibley's publication in 1995, that these nanotubes look like they may even be elaborated off of the vacuolar membrane. And we speculate that this escort machinery might be involved in that. And Vern Carruthers lab is doing some really nice work uh, including uh, identifying GRA14 as maybe um, crucial for that. Another hit, and the last thing I'm going to talk about today, was MOS-PD2. So 
This is um, a protein that uh, has been involved in, again, membrane interactions. It came up very high on the list. It was number four on the, on the most enriched. And what does MOS PD2 do? So this is a, a sperm protein, motility sperm protein domain two containing protein that is involved in interactions between organelles. And we thought this could be very interesting of what this might be doing if it was indeed um, enriched there because it will recruit, for example, to the ER either uh, late endosomes or even mitochondria and facilitate those interactions. Abel Farrell, a graduate student in the lab who picked up on this, um, was really intrigued, put uh, epitope tag MOS PD2, engineered cells to express that, and then looked, and it's dramatic. <laughs> so this is a vacuole, this is a vacuole, and it's sucking up almost all this crucial protein that's involved in organellar interactions onto the vacuole or membrane. Interestingly, though, just like with the mitochondria, it's again strain-dependent. So if you look, the, the, this type 1 strain, you see a lot of it. It's kind of patchy, and I'll come back to that in a moment. The type 2, very strong and pretty consistent. The type 3, it's there. You can't really see it with this lighting, but it's clearly much weaker, and this is the quantitation of those data. So it's yet another thing. Different strains giving very different um, results in terms of something that you would have thought is probably pretty fundamental. What this tells to us most importantly, at least from our parasite-centric view of the world, is that this is almost certainly parasite-driven. This isn't a host phenomenon that's just binding onto the membranes. There's something that the parasite is doing, whether it's the lipid composition or otherwise. That patchiness turns out to be because it's anti-correlated with the mitochondrial recruitment. So the red here are the mitochondria stained with mitotracker, and you can see wherever they are, the MOS PD2 is not, and vice versa. So that we now have two um, domains within the vacuolar membrane, one of which is interacting with mitochondria, one of which is interacting with something else. How is this uh, operating? Well, uh, MOS PD2 is tail anchored, meaning it has a, a hydrophobic domain at its C terminus with just a few residues on the, on the luminal side of it. So this is how it sits on the ER membrane. And what Abel did was to say, make mutants of this for very, the, the three major domains, the crawl trio, which is involved in signal transduction, lipid transport, organelle biology, MSP, which is another, um, this um, motility protein from sperm that's also involved in organellar interactions, and then the tail anchor. And what he found was that the tail anchored would no longer be recruited to the PVM. The the wild type looked great. The crawl trio mutants, it was not expressed at very high levels, but what was there was going to the uh, PVM very nicely. This uh, activity mutants that are um, in the MSP domain are completely fine. They're recruited fine. So it's not protein-protein interactions. It's the tail anchor that's pulling those in. And this is just the quantitation. So the next steps are, what is the impact of deleting MOS PD2 on host ER and Golgi recruitment? ER recruitment turns out to be harder to look at than you might think. We're really excited that uh, Isabel Coppins and Julia Romano at Hopkins have agreed to look at this by EM. By immunofluorescence, we don't see it, but we don't really see that ER recruitment in immunofluorescence very easily. There's just too much ER, and it's, it's kind of everywhere. 
And then what are the parasite proteins that are mediating this? So in summary, I've told you that the apical rings of Toxo and Plasmodium are made of a similar repeating structure. I didn't say, but I think it was on the slide that the estimate based on the volume uh, looks to be around six to 10 million Daltons. There's a lot of stuff in each one of those. They're, they're pretty big entities. That calcium, we assume calcium, calcium ionophore certainly promotes this interaction between an apical vesicle fusing then apparently with the rope tree tip, and we think that's one of the key steps in then allowing invasion. That the escort machinery is recruited to the, um, is to the vacuolar membrane and maybe is involved in eliciting this, uh, this, the bucatini. And then lastly, that MOSPD2 is clearly very efficiently recruited there. We don't know the mechanism. There was a great talk this morning by Susan Chow um, on TA anchored proteins that um, I, I'm looking forward to talking with her more about that. So huge thanks uh, to the team. You know, I, I am really truly just the narrator for this wonderful group of folk and our wonderful collaborators and I guess wonderful funders too, um, not to be uh, too sycophantic here. But anyway, thank you so much and I'll leave that up in case that's helpful for questions. We hope you have enjoyed this lecture. It was recorded in April 2022 in Philadelphia at the ASBMB annual meeting, held in conjunction for the final time with the Experimental Biology Conference. In 2023, the ASBMB annual meeting will be held in Seattle. Learn more at discoverbnb.asbmb.org.